Hello everyone, this is Lynn Fermado for Yoga You Online, and I am here today with Lila Schwartz. She's the author of Healing Our Backs with Yoga, an essential guide to back pain relief. Lila is a yoga pr practitioner with more than 30 years of experience. She had the blessing, I would say, of having studied with the master BKS Iyengar and some other really great teachers in the Iyengar lineage. And she's also got a background in massage and cranial sacral therapy. So she brings a depth of understanding to her work that includes anatomy, kinesiology, biomechanics, movement, function, and all of that other uh, good stuff that it's great to bring into the studio. And so it's kind of no wonder that she's found her niche in working with back pain and back pain relief um, through yoga. She began teaching in 1987 and held an Iyengar teaching certificate for 23 years before branching out and doing her own work. She was the first uh, owner of the first full service yoga studio in Asheville, North Carolina uh, from 1981 to 2009 before she decided uh, she really just wanted to do the work. And so she still today teaches. She does teacher trainings, workshops, works with private clients, and uh, she's got a couple of DVDs out as well as her book. So Lila, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. You know, I think people are uh, pretty aware these days of the proliferation of back pain, and it's becoming pretty well known that it's the top reason for people missing work. It's the number one cause, I believe, worldwide of disability. And in that alignment is your specialty. I know you've got a lot to say about that, but I feel like there's a very personal connection here for you because you had a, a personal story with back pain that is very relevant to the discussion. I wonder if you would share that. Sure. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I fell, went down with a horse and severely rearranged my tailbone. I didn't do any spinal damage, but I basically don't have a tailbone. It doesn't sit where it's supposed to sit. And I always wondered why I had difficulty in, in yoga classes. Why was it so hard for me to sit straight? Why did one knee hurt more than the other? Why did one hip hurt more than the other hip? It was, in, it was, a, it was a conundrum for me to figure out what was going on. And for years, I didn't figure it out until I did get a few excellent teachers who helped me to understand the asymmetry in my own body that had been created from that injury. So you, um, it took you a while to find, I, I'm not sure people would typically look uh, for pelvic asymmetry as a source of their problems. Would you? I would have to agree with that. <laughs> yes, I would have to agree with that because, um, you know, there are things that happen that we do habitually. People who cross one leg over the other leg all the time, and that's their dominant pattern, can set up a pelvic rotation, which could function like an asymmetry because it's rotated. And in other situations, especially with yoga these days, Oh my. So I just spent this past weekend at the Asheville Yoga Festival, which was a really lovely festival. And I loved it because 
most everyone in classes were 30 years younger than I was. And I thought that was great. And I got to see what the common denominator and what was happening in their bodies as I watched them to practice and, and myself. And really, um, there's so much deep, stretchy energy in yoga, mm -hmm. and especially in the vinyasa classes and the power yoga classes. There's so much big, stretchy energy that people are actually creating imbalances in their pelvis and in their SI joints that weren't there before. It's almost like um, some of the, it's almost like someone's doing an advanced movement practice without learning the fundamentals of ballet before they try and put their foot up like this alongside their head. So there's sort of a fundamental understanding that it's creeping in there, but there's a lot of asymmetry going on in a lot of pelvises that I see. That's interesting because there are a lot of asymmetrical poses. So yes. um, I suppose if you bring an asymmetrical, can we say samskara, if you bring an asymmetrical pattern mm -hmm. into an asymmetrical pose, and then you add that word stretch, Yes, um, and lengthen that you're actually almost creating a problem that wasn't necessarily there. Right. So one side might be more stable and holding some stability, and the other side might be more unstable. But you're stretch, and then the and then the other thing that happens is that people go, "Oh, I'm looser on this side, so I can stretch much further on this side," mm -hmm. and they take already a pattern that's out of balance and make it become more out of balance by how they're stretching because they're overstretching. And then when there's pain involved, the painful muscle, the painful muscle is always the weak muscle. So if the muscle has really gotten overstretched and then it tries to stabilize, it kind of gets spastic and painful. And people say, well, but I feel it on this side. I feel the pain on this side. Shouldn't I stretch it? And I have to say, not necessarily. Yeah. You may want to stretch the other side. You may want to look where foundationally you're out of balance and try and recreate some balance, starting with your base, which would be the pelvis. So the opposite, of course, of the stretching would be strengthening. Do you first want to go and look for alignment and then talk about strength, or would you... Uh, how would you counter the overstretching? Where do you start there? So I think, you know, where people need to start, first of all, is with the awareness of their own body. Am I feeling, when I, when I do fundamental basic stretches, say we do Virabhadrasana 2 to one side and then to the other side, is one side real easy to glide into and the other side feels a little sticky somehow? And why is it sticky? That's another question to ask. Are both my hip joints functioning the same way? Mm -hmm. Are the, is the head of the femur bone sitting properly in the hip socket so that both sides can be effortless? You know, some, at some point we want to hit Sthiram Sukhamasanam. We want to hit stability and ease, mm -hmm. right? 
And so that's, that's an important, uh, important consideration. So um, first awareness has to come. And then after awareness, they say, well, you know, this side feels, no, this side's actually, these muscles are a little tighter on this side and they're a little looser on this side. Okay, good to notice, good to know, because you, a, a, a student, a person, then begins to understand their own, the map, what I call the map of their own body. This hip and that shoulder, this hip and that shoulder, or this shoulder and hip on the same side, on the opposite side, where is the structural pattern varying as it, go, as it moves along? So if you identified a tighter side and a looser side, what I typically would guide people to do is don't overstretch the loose side. Even though you may want to because you feel more sensation, you have more feedback from that side, don't overstretch, hold yourself back, modify 10, 20%, let the other side stretch a little bit until that you start understanding there's a relationship between the two sides. And I'm basically, when I'm doing this movement right here, that's the walking pattern. Mm -hmm. The SI joints are supposed to move a little bit. You're supposed to get this nice walking rhythm going on. Yeah, and that, and that shows that there's a relationship between the two sides. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at somebody looking at their shoes, yeah. for instance. Are, are, are the heels wearing evenly on both feet or not? Because that's going to tell you something about how your hips are stacking up and what your gait is like. If I can come to a balance with my asymmetric pelvis in my practice, when I go for my walk, my gait's pretty even. If I'm really out of balance because I haven't been walking or I've been traveling and sitting for long hours, which is, of course, a problem, sitting for long hours, then I'm going to get up and my walk's going to be uneven and my heels are going to hit the ground differently and my legs are going to swing differently. So it's, it's, you know, becoming aware that it's a whole system mm -hmm. and it starts with the base. So the upper body is held by the pelvis and the legs feed the pelvis. And so the pelvis is really an important part of our structure. So the pelvis is kind of the hub. Yes. And if you have, I just called it a samskar, but I think we could also call it a compensatory pattern. Mm -hmm. My theory is that no one is symmetrical. If we were mm -hmm. symmetrical, we'd have two hearts, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so what I want to know is, it's kind of a weird question, but is all asymmetry a problem? And when does a compensatory behavior turn into you're putting wear and tear on your joints. Are all of these compensation patterns, is all asymmetry bad? I, I'm going to support you and go along with your thinking to say that we all have an asymmetric body to some degree. And then the question is, how much of a degree? Right. And that's where the compensatory patterns or the uh, discomforts begin, if, it's, if the degree is great enough. You know, in the, in the, uh, I had a, uh, had a wonderful weekend. There was a fellow here in town uh, who was, he travels around the world teaching the Thomas Myers work with the anatomy trains. Mm -hmm. And he was at the festival. I had a blast with him, of course. Uh, young, fa fairly young fellow, really clear, really requesting that everybody up there, up their understanding 
and start right, raising yoga up to a higher level, which is exactly what the intent of Yoga U is with all the wonderful work that's offered on Yoga U is to start raising the bar a little bit so we actually get more understanding and more function rather than less. Walking in living in the northern hemisphere, water spirals down the drain clockwise. In the southern hemisphere, it does counterclockwise. Guess which way their pelvises tend to spin. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that comes out of, you know, people from the Rolf Institute and that kind of work. Uh -huh. It's really interesting. So um, we can certainly exacerbate that by leg crossing, repetitive motion activities, injuries to the pelvis. You know, it's really important. Um, I always ask them when they come in, they start complaining of hip pain. My hip hurts. It's always one side. Yeah, it's always one side. And my hip hurts. The first question I want to ask them is, did you ever fall and land on your tailbone? Did you have an impact injury that altered the way your body took the injury where the muscles may have, or the fascia, not just muscles. You know, I, I say muscles all the time because I came from an anatomy background to start with. But the deeper thought on that now is it's not just the muscle. It's the proprioception of the fascia and what happens with the fascia when the fascia is also contracting. Right. It's not just a muscle. The muscles moved by the, the new research showing the muscles moved by the nerve endings that impregnate the muscle through the fascia, inside the fascia. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's pretty exciting stuff, actually. I actually say soft tissue and hard tissue because it's all, in my world, it's all connective tissue. Yes. And if you see it, it, it muscle merges, it, it just becomes tendon or ligament or fascia or, or fascia. it's right. all connected. And uh, that kind of takes me back to the hub because where you are describing, it really is kind of a hub. You've got psoas, you've got pelvic floor, you've got the rotators, you've got the TFL on the back. How do you assess as a clinician as a teacher and a therapist how do you assess balance and symmetry and well the first thing i'd like to do is see somebody walk and i want to see that in a good walk there's a little bit of movement on each side of the iliums the um, iliac crest that whole body of the pelvis does have a small movement on the sacrum when we walk that's normal but some people walk like this mm -hmm. some people walk like this some people walk and drop a foot mm -hmm. like that right so watching somebody walk is a really helpful way to start investigating and then i also look for the ease of the gait how long is their step can they take a, a um does their step have ease or is it kind of stuck as they walk? And then I do just basic stretches to begin with. So the first thing I do in my practice when I'm working with a client is help them just extend the soft tissue. Help them lengthen the leg, uh, you know, a soup to pod one, two, and three. Just get the leg to lengthen, open the inner leg 
open the, the, the line of the outer leg. So get the lateral line, the inner line, the front line, the back line, just kind of go around the hip joint and, and take them through some range of motion stretches. It doesn't have to be big motion. It can be small motion depending on the person just for till they have come to their edge. Now, what do I call an edge? I always like to do things on a scale of one to 10. So on a one to 10 scale, the sensation and feedback a person would like in their body would be, a, they would label it a four, five, or six. So play the middle range. Don't not stretch, but don't stretch so much that you can't take a breath because you're at an eight. Mm. Back it up play in the four, five, or six range, keep the breath flowing, see if you can create length and space. And that's a, a really big thing, is to create some length and space first so there's some opening and releasing that occurs before strengthening. Okay. So I wanna open and get fluidity first, and then we might go to creating tone. Okay. You want core tone, what does that mean? It could mean the psoas muscle, it could mean the transverse abdominis, it could mean the um, gluteus medius, it could mean the lower fibers of the gluteus maximus, it could mean the obturator muscles that help hold the hips in the socket, and all those things feed into the pelvic floor, right? So there's a lot to consider as we go along in a therapeutic process. So I don't add the toning right away. Yeah. I always create awareness, create some release because mostly people are coming in. The connective tissue is constricted and stiff. Mm -hmm. Now, is it stiff because of range of motion? Is it stiff because they were sitting all day? Is it stiff because they ate some kind of inflammatory food and then their connective tissue is mad at them the next day? It could be any number of reasons, right? So first creating some fluidity and ease and getting people connected to their breath. And then from there, oh, this side needs to be shortened, not this side. And then there's a place that there comes a time when somebody has enough awareness of their body or that I can guide them to that awareness that will say, okay, we're going to do Shalabhasana and we're going to lift the left leg three times and both legs together once. Or we're going to lift the left and then the right and do a diagonal arm leg shalabhasana to get the lower back working. But then you're going to lift the left one or you're going to lift both just once. Or maybe twice. It just depends on what's going to give the response in that, for that particular client in that particular organism. It's an individual journey, right? some basic understandings, but then it's the application is always individual. I could see someone doing that exploration that you described, just watching themselves walk outside. Yep. But I could also, I had a picture of a yoga teacher standing at the door, watching their students walk into the room and take their spaces and have that little moment of assessment before class of just watching their students walk into the room as a little hint of whose pelvis is where today. The other thing I've heard you talk about that I think is a really interesting and useful uh, metaphor is a clock face. Uh-huh. Can you 
share a little bit about that idea? You know, the way I was taught in the Iyengar system, there's a lot of subtleties. Be aware of how the big toe connects to your inner groin. Move this in this direction, move that in that direction. There's a lot of subtleties. And one day I fell upon this idea of the clock face. And what I found is that it just made it so much more simple for everybody to figure out what their pelvis was doing. So we just put a, a clock face on the center of the pelvis. The navel is 12 o'clock. The inner groin just outside the edge of the pubic bone is six o'clock. And then the two hip bones, the ASISs, the two pointy hip bones at the top are three o'clock and nine o'clock. And if you make a crisscross from those, those four points, where they cross, you're going to end up in what's called the center of gravity of the pelvis, mm -hmm. the pit of the abdomen. You can call it the pit of the abdomen. And it translates directly back to the midpoint of the sacrum. So we know that the sacrum has a curve in it, and then it acts, and there's a fulcrum there. And so that midpoint is going to go right to that fulcrum of the sacrum which is really helpful because that's the point of stability. The fulcrum is the point of stability. And then people can lay on the floor, do some exercises on the floor that helps them feel their sacrum because you get feedback from the floor, right? You get uh, tactile feedback, build some awareness. If I keep my clock face really stable and then I move my right leg, how much does it move? I don't want my whole clock face to go with my leg. Right, I want to go to the felt because I'm trying to discover the map of my body. I'm not trying to do an intermediate yoga pose. I'm trying to discover the map of my body so I can start building balance. So as I go forward into more in my yoga practice and doing a variety of poses, I'll know where my home base is. And I can always bring my body back to home base. I think that's so important because a lot of people have these habitual asymmetries. I know that that's true for me. And over time, you develop a little bit of lower back scoliosis or you get the short leg syndrome or you develop, you actually etch into your tissues that dysfunctional uh, pattern. So having something very simple like this as an assessment tool that you can do on yourself, but also that you can fairly easily see on your students would be quite a useful uh, study. It is a useful study and it helps the students a lot as well. It helps them become independent. And that's what we want. We want people to be healthy and independent and understand how to move their body so that they can have relative balance and function. Yeah, and there's required, and I just want to say that really the bottom line is get up from the desk and go for a walk. <laughs> now, I have not been for my walk yet today, but I will before the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. So move. And, yeah, you got to keep moving. And, it, and it, it, there, a lot of us do have asymmetries, and there are ways to learn how to use your lower abdomen, the transverse abdominis, how to work with balancing the hips and using your pelvic floor to help stabilize the hips in the sockets. And that's very important for anybody with an asymmetric pelvis. Without that, the lower back's always gonna take the compensation or the abuse of right. the legs not 
tracking well. But of so. course, that, that compensation pattern that you just described when you did this to your hip, this shoulder just <laughs> exactly went off the charts, right? So exactly. a little bit, I know you said the word subtle, and I think that's the right word, but a little bit of asymmetry right there at the hub is going to resonate. Yes, yes, all the way up to the shoulders, to the head, how the head sits, how the eyes sit in the socket, it's gonna go all the way up, yeah. And the other piece of that that I, I'm not sure that yoga teachers think about as much, I think we might be more comfortable with sort of sagittal plane, but that idea that there's rotational, uh, that, that the asymmetry is actually rotating things and creating a whole different dimension. And, and that's how people end up with a short leg, quote unquote because they get measured when they're lying flat. And so they don't have a short leg if they get measured when they're lying flat on the floor, but as soon as they stand up, there's a little shift that occurs and suddenly one leg's shorter than the other. Yeah, so most everybody who has a short leg, long leg, doesn't have a short leg, long leg, they have a pelvic rotation. Right. And, and there's a prejudice, the pelvis moves on one side and not on the other. And so it's discovering what those are. And uh, so that's the hope with the, asymmetric pelvis uh, course that I'm offering is the yeah, hope so that... You, yeah, you're bringing up, it's called, I'm going to give you a little um, intro to that. Uh, there is a course that Lila is offering and it's called Yoga for a Healthy Back Addressing Pelvic Asymmetry, which sounds like uh, a lot of people would really benefit from uh, spending some time with that material. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Well, I'm just going to say that I did work with a model at that time who had a fairly, fairly solid asymmetric pelvis. I mean, a distinct asymmetric pelvis. And so watching me work with somebody who was new to the material mm -hmm. rather than really seasoned with the material, I think is going to be really informative for the folks who decide to buy the course and, and work with the course. I think they're gonna get a lot of benefit and insight because of the conversations that she and I had as part of the training of the course. So I'm basically modeling how to work with somebody who has an asymmetric pelvis and how I would talk about that and how I would help her. So I think it'll be- In a, addition a, though, I think you've also got practices, right? Right, so, so, so part of- Right. It, it's a continuation. So there are four different practice sets to work with. And they're each 30 minutes. Uh, and there are four of them. Uh, and so it's a lot of information there that I think people will find really valuable. What I think is, is really uh, useful about those practices is that someone might hear the theory and walk away and say, well, that was really smart, but I have no idea how to introduce that into my <laughs> poses, into my yoga class or into my personal practice. So having a little bit of instruction on how to assimilate that, you know, the uh, academic information, I think is quite a useful. I think it really is. I think it really is. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good feedback on the previous course I did for the uh -huh. lower back with yoga, you got a lot of great feedback. It's like, oh, now it makes sense to me. Now I know what to do yes. when I get on my mat. 
So I hope people have that same response to this course for the asymmetric pelvis. Well, this has been very interesting. And I, as always, um, want to know so much more. So I will definitely <laughs> check out your course to get even more information because I think asymmetry in the pelvis, uh, you're right, this tendency to do more more extreme and not just yoga, but if you look at uh, just the word extreme and put it with any physical activity, people are hurting themselves. And so to understand how to get back to ground zero with your pelvis, I think is a... And be, become find out what your balance is. Exactly. Well, Leela, thank you so much. And we look forward to the course and to speaking with you again soon. Great. Thanks, Lynn. And Appreciate it. You. Thank you for stopping by and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.